Nevertheless, they have no idea who his betrayer is right among them. I find that interesting. Now listen, the enemy doesn't always show up as a scary monster, does he? No, listen, the enemy uh, slides his way in like a serpent. Crafty, smooth. And, and if you've ever seen a, a copperhead in the, in, the, in the leaves, you about even can't see him. Because he blends so well. Listen, the enemy is crafty. He is smooth and sometimes outwardly has even good intentions. It's mixed with a lot of truth, yet a little poison with a little lie. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. This morning I've entitled our message, The Divine Whistleblower. When talking about whistleblowers, some might consider these people to be traitors. There are those that hate them, but there are others that love them. They deem them as heroes. Whatever you choose to believe about the whistleblowers, their desire, they hope to simply reveal truth. They, they obtain some information that maybe isn't public. They have a great effect in our history and in our world as their desire is to reveal truth. There are those people who risk their lives, their families, their careers to expose the wrongs that they have witnessed, that they have known to be true. Whistleblowers simply want the truth to be made known. Today, as we approach our text of Scripture, I'm reminded of the greatest whistleblower of all times, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is always about revealing divine truth. And everything that He reveals is always 100% accurate. I didn't say it was popular, but the reality is, is sometimes truth hurts. Ask the woman at the well when he made known her business to the world. You say, well, how is that possible? Well, you know about the story today, don't you? He says here in John 4, 16 to 18, he said to her, go call your husband to come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband for the for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This which you have said is true. He reveals her sin. Jesus was clear about truth, even when it was not popular, and even when it caused the crowds to scatter. He wasn't just trying to build for himself some large following of community of believers. He was on a mission to both share truth and love in a profound way. A way that still even shakes the world today. You remember when Jesus confronted the truth of the scribes and the Pharisees? 
Matthew 23, 1-5, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to His disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, whatever they tell you, do and comply with all. But do not do as they do. For they, they, they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. They do all their deeds to be noticed by other people. Jesus doesn't question the people's traditions, but rather He reveals, He exposes that they were hypocrites that they would not carry out the burdens themselves, and thus He reveals their sin, their hypocrisy. Isn't it always interesting to know that God knows all things? I mean, over and over and over in Scripture, God reveals that which has been hidden to the public eye. Luke 12, 2 says, But there is nothing covered up, that will not be revealed and that hidden that will not be known. That's a great thing, but it's a scary thing, isn't it? Because we all have hidden lives. Different people than what we are when we come to church on Sunday many times. Listen, the great exposer of truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the revealer because He is all-knowing. He sees what's happening in your life and in mine. He sees the truth that you share, but He also sees the lies that are committed, the sins that are walked in. Nevertheless, He is still the greatest revealer of truth of all times. Here in John 13, 21-38, there is really... No difference as he exposes and, and blows a whistle on his very own betrayer in his inner circle. So if you will, let us turn there to John chapter 13, verses 21 to 38. As you're turning there, if you recall, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, knowing that his time is now come to a close. He begins to reveal the truth to Judas. He also, while doing that, desires to encourage, to equip the true disciples from His impending death that is sure to be soon. So He teaches them a lesson on humility, that they are to be servants. And He calls them while in union with Christ, in Christ, that they are to daily walk in repentance. He sets an example for them to follow and He begins to reveal to them that one of them is going to betray Him. One from within His very circle of friends. Jesus is aware though already. He's all-knowing. He is deity. He is God in flesh. And He's already stated in John 6.70, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He is always revealing truth. And so as we come to John 13, 17, He says, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. 
And then he states this truth. I am not speaking about all of you. Why? Well, one of them is his betrayer. And they don't know which one it is. And so that's the context for which we come to our passage today. You all seem to be there, so let's read together. John 13, 21 to 38. Verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he became troubled in, in his spirit and testified and said, truly, truly, I say to you that, that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss of to who, to which one it was speaking. Lying back on Jesus' chest was one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter nodded to this disciple and said to him, tell us, who it is of whom he is speaking. He then simply leaned back on Jesus' chest and said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, That man is the one from whom I shall dip the piece of bread and give to him. So when, they had, so when he had dipped the piece of bread, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After this, Satan then entered him. Therefore Jesus said to him, What you are doing, do it quickly. Now none of these reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were assuming since Judas kept the money box that Jesus was saying to him, Buy things we need for the feast or else that he was to give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he left immediately and it was night. Therefore, when he had left, Jesus said, now, the son of, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him, and if God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Himself and will glorify Him immediately. Little children, I am still with you a little longer. You will look for Me, just as I have said to the Jews. Now I also say to you where I am going you cannot come. I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me. Now, but you will follow later. Peter said, Lord, why, why can I not follow you right now? I, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. There are a few things that I want us to consider as we look at this passage of Scripture today that I will believe it will encourage you and equip you to walk closer to the Lord. First, I want you to see that Christ exposes His enemy. Secondly, we see that Christ explains His purpose. And thirdly, we see that Christ exhorts His followers. Let us first consider that we see Christ exposes His enemies. We have already concluded that Christ is indeed a truth teller. That He consistently and is always faithful in revealing that which is true. And what we find here in this passage of Scripture is no different than that reality. 
We see Jesus knows and understands what the future holds, not only in His own life, but in those in which follow Him, which include those in that upper room and even those of us who are here today. He says, when Jesus had said these things, He became troubled in His spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray Me. Jesus, after concluding this last section, it says He became troubled in His spirit. Remember, He says in John 13, 1, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart from this world to the Father. And having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. He knew what was to come of these twelve in this upper room. And He loved them dearly. He loved them, listen, enough to die for them. And while we have not seen the fullness of what that will look like at this point in John, we do have Isaiah 53 that gives us a stark reality of what the crucifixion holds. I mean, we are but hours chronologically from the death of Christ. Chapter 13 to chapter 17 of John are all the upper room discourse. And so Jesus, knowing what is to unfold, loving them to the end, even the one who betrays Him, and even narrowing that down tighter, He seems to address what is troubled about Him. He says He became troubled in His spirit. He is troubled, listen, by the truth of what He knows. He can see the fullness of what this man's end result will be. He sees the man's result. Now we see that result not here, but we see it in Acts chapter 1, verse 18. With the payment that he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all of his intestines spilled out. He is perceived graphically. Jesus knows that He will leave this earth and step into eternity in hell. And I believe that it breaks the very heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see the heart of the Lord. We see the humanity of Christ. What more could trouble our Savior than the love that He has for those whom are lost? I mean, we're talking about sin. We are talking about absolute separation and His willingness to sacrifice on behalf of wicked humanity His very life. And so He lets them know one of you will betray. He begins to expose the enemy among them. So they, like any one of us, would look around the room at each other and ask the question, who is it? The disciples, it says in verse 22, began looking at one another at a loss to know which one He was speaking. Laying back on Jesus' chest was one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. In the embarrassing silence that follows, they totally understand what He is saying here. But the reality is, is they are at an absolute loss of which one it is. I know that we live in a perverted day and age, and I want to bring this up. 
because the liberal theologians want to twist this into some homosexual tendency between John and Jesus. That is heresy. That's looking for approval to walk and live a sinful lifestyle. That is living under the subjection of the cultural influence not based off of God's Word. It was and is still, listen, very common for men to be close to one another and even to hold hands in other countries without perverted intentions. Listen, they loved each other. They were friends. These twelve had a special place with the Lord, three of which were in the inner circle with Christ. Many parts of the world, the Philippines, the Arab world, men walk down the streets holding hands. It's a sign of friendship, not homosexuality. Nevertheless, they have no idea who his betrayer is right among them. I find that interesting. Now listen, the enemy doesn't always show up as a scary monster, does he? No, listen, the enemy slides his way in like a serpent. Crafty, smooth, and, and if you've ever seen a, a copperhead in the, in the, in the leaves, you about even can't see him because he blends so well. Listen, the enemy is crafty. He is smooth and sometimes outwardly has even good intentions. He's mixed with a lot of truth, yet a little poison, with a little lie. And listen, it will kill you. What you believe matters. What you believe will send you to hell if you are not careful. The Lord knows what's going on though. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. He knows and He has known because He is God in flesh. He is deity. But beware, listen, no, the enemy isn't always wearing a red cape with horns. Sometimes he looks like you. Sometimes he acts like you. Sometimes even handles the money. Whoever it is at this point, the divine whistleblower, while he knows, has not exposed him yet. At least not fully. The Lord allows him to be there. To walk among them. Doesn't that tell us a lot about the character of Christ? I mean, he knows the enemy is among him. And yet he hasn't exposed him yet. Judas, listen, was walking among them. Judas knows what he is doing. Listen, the Lord will let you walk in your sin for a season. There is a lesson to be learned for us. He will let you meander around and even try to play a role. But we better be careful that we don't find ourselves to be like Judas. Because listen, the Lord will expose him soon enough. And He will expose each one of us soon enough. Listen, God is in control of His enemies. Your enemies. Satan, listen, he isn't omnipresent. He isn't omniscient. What power he does have, listen, is out on loan by the one who rules the nation. The owner of heaven and earth. The best thing Judas could do and the best thing we can do is repent of our sins. Turn to God. The best thing that some can do before it's too late, before Satan turns you over, takes over. Peter seems to be looking 
toward John and, and Jesus as the question is asked. Simon Peter nodded to, to this disciple and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. It, it's almost like they didn't want to talk about it out loud. Right? I, I, I was at dinner with Whitley and Jerry, and we, we were talking about this very thing because I was intrigued by the reality that here, Peter, he doesn't ask Christ who it is. He, he, he looks to John and he says, ask him who it is. Jerry said it reminds me when he was a kid and there was something going on at the table and he had 10 brothers and sisters or however 20 or whatever he had. <laughs> That if there was something that needed to talk to dad, he'd lean over to his brother and go, why don't you ask dad what's, what's going on here? What's going on here? The, the reality is, no one wants to be the one. So Peter asked his friend, John, ask Jesus who it is. And then John, it says in verse 25, simply leaned back on Jesus' chest and said to him, Lord, who is it? I never noticed this until I studied the text, but it seems that John is portraying himself as closest to Christ in the moment. Maybe even a relationship kind of way. Notice it's Peter who nodded to John. He didn't ask Christ directly why. Maybe Peter was fearful that it was him and didn't want to be exposed. Listen, God knows the hearts of all of us. He knows the hearts of those in this room with Him. And listen, He will indeed expose this betrayer at the proper time. And so John asked Jesus, it's been a common belief that this is the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's been... Uh, the early church tradition was unanimously as identifying this disciple as John. And so, who is it, they asked. And Jesus answered here in verse 26, then Jesus answered, that man is the one for whom I shall dip the piece of bread and give it to him. Now, what you need to understand here culturally, because we miss it as an American culture, it, we must understand the Bible in its cultural context. This was an act of honor. For someone to dip the bread and to give it to someone was to exalt them. To be given the morsel by the hose was to be signaled out as a special honor. Isn't that a powerful thought? Here you have the one whom's going to betray Jesus. He's not only washed his feet, but now he honors him. And it is very possible that he is sitting right beside him in a place of honor. Listen, Jesus loved him to the end. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he took it and he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. He says in verse 27, After this, Satan entered him. And therefore Jesus said to him, What you are doing, do it quickly. 
I can't help but see the reality of the control that Jesus has in this moment. He has exposed the traitor. He has revealed the betrayer. But it seems that they didn't even hear. Almost as if it was a whisper to John. Yet God, Christ, is in absolute control. What we see is verse 2 come to life as we learn that Satan had already put it in his heart. And just like Christ has control of the devil, so he is in control of the situation. And he calls Judas to do what he is going to do and do it quickly under his time frame. Because remember, he's working for the Lord. Remember, Judas is working on behalf of God's ultimate plan of redemption. He is the fulfillment, as we looked at last two weeks ago, right? Of the Old Testament prophecy. And Christ is watching it unfold, and the cross is drawing so close. The enemy is exposed, the truth is out. He blows the whistle on the betrayer. He reveals who it is. It's Judas. This is the way it will be done one day when God brings to light all that is evil. Christ handles His enemies so well as He discloses this truth. We see that Christ exposes His enemies. Secondly, we see Christ explains His purpose. We always need to be reminded in the face of betrayal, in the face of our enemy, and when we're treated unjustly, that God is still sovereign. He is in absolute control. And for that we can rejoice today. Here we see this very thing unfold. Jesus doesn't, interestingly enough, come right out and scream so that everybody in the room hears. This is interesting. He doesn't shout, Judas is the one. Judas is the betrayer. He doesn't do it so that everybody there understands who it is. But He seems to say it in such a quiet voice that only John hears. Seems to know what's happened only by John's ear. I mean, if we're going to be honest, if that was us, wouldn't we just come right out and make it known? Don't we do that in our lives among the brethren? Oh, so-and-so, I saw them doing something that they shouldn't have done. Oh, so-and-so, we want to be a whistleblower within the house of God and make known everything and everybody's deeds. And if we're not careful, we'll just be a whistleblower for the wrong purpose. Listen, God knows everything. He knows the hearts of men and He will judge them. Leave room, it says Roman 12, for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. He said, I will repay. But if that was us, we would just throw it out there for everybody. That's not the method we see of Christ. They're simply blind or they could not hear. But regardless, it doesn't seem they know. 
I mean, it's obvious to us, the readers. We know exactly who it is because it's he's already spelled it out just a few verses ago. It's this guy who I dip the bread and give it to. That is the guy. He does that to Judas and he tells him, depart and do what you're going to do quickly. We all know. But when we look at verse 28, it says, Now none of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to them. Uh, this is interesting as they recline at the table. It, it seems to be um, that there is the Passover meal, which was not rushed through. It, it, they took their time at the Passover meal and they celebrated. Unlike uh, the Passover originally, it was a quick through. And here there seems to be this, this idea of reclining at the table, but they have no idea still yet who it is. Some were assuming since Judas kept the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy some things we need for the feast, or else that he was to give something to the poor. It never crossed their minds that he was a thief, that he was a betrayer. Nevertheless, they missed the exchange. They are still in the blind as to whom this betrayer is. But make no mistake, Christ knows and Judas knows who he is. It's a battle behind the scenes. There is a war violently raging in the spiritual realm and they have no clue. Can you sense the calmness in the room? They're just reclining at the table. And Jesus has just said, this is the man whom we'll betray. Doesn't seem like there's a problem at all. Verse 30 says, after receiving the piece of bread, he left immediately and it was night. John has throughout his book compared darkness to evil, sin. and There is no difference here. The enemy is now gone and night is upon them. The enemy is at work. Evil and sin have, listen, given birth. Listen, the ball is now rolling. The, listen, the, the, the Lord has pulled the chuck out from under the... The, the vehicle parked at the top of the hill and is now beginning to roll downhill. And at the bottom, listen, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is coming quickly. What we see is the total submission of Christ to the will of the Father. God sent Christ for a purpose. And Christ explains that. In verse 31, he suggests that the purpose has been accomplished. Verse 31, therefore, when he had left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself and will glorify him immediately. Listen, it is all about to unfold. It will all be, listen, to the glory of God. He now, the Son of Man, is glorified. The clock is ticking and the end is in sight. Nothing the Son does is apart from the Father. You see the absolute equality of the Son of Man and God the Father. And if the God the Son is glorified, then you better bet that God the Father is glorified in Christ. Even if this wicked act of betrayal unfolds. God 
was pleased. Isaiah 53.10 reminds us, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see him his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper his hands. Listen, to conquer death, to grant victory to the captives, to set the world free of sin, was the ultimate purpose of Christ, to obey the will of God. And Christ does it faithfully to the cross. Jesus gives the end result of what would happen because of the betrayal. He reveals the very purpose for what is about to unfold. You see, God uses evil in this world to bring about good ultimately for His glory. And we need to be reminded of that, especially in our day when evil is rampant, when men are calling what is evil good and good evil, when they are calling what is sweet sour and what is sour sweet. We live in a confused nation. But listen, God will bring about good for His glory. You cannot stop the glory of God, even in wickedness. What He mentions for evil... God had planned for victory. Listen, His plan of defeat became the very act that overthrew Him. And while we see what happens is absolutely evil, it is absolutely intentional. He is done to bring about victory to a sinful separated world. For you, it's a reminder of what God has done. For you, it's a reminder of what Christ went through. That you and I might have life. And not only have life, have it abundantly. Not in some prosperous methodology of the, 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 the prosperous evangelical community of our day. No, you see, God will see it and be satisfied the death of His Son. By His knowledge, the righteous one. His servant will justify the many, for He will bear their wrongdoings. That's us. Oh, what a price that was paid. He explained the purpose, and the purpose was that you and I might live. That His disciples might live. Can I ask you today, do you know Christ? Have you put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ? The gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Because without it, listen, you will die in your sin. And you will be separated from God eternally. Now you lack one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you will be saved. Have you put your faith in Christ? He says here, verse 33, Little children, I am still with you. A little longer. You will look for me just as I said to the Jews. Now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Listen, call on Him while He may be found. He is available today. You have breath in your lungs. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. 
Don't let the world distract you. Don't let your pride keep you from the kingdom. Believe the gospel. Because when he comes back again, you will not be able to go there. When he comes on that white horse with all authority and power and judgment, where we are going, you will not come. Because those that are in Christ will be with Christ. And it will be too late. And so the plea is to seek him while he may be found. Listen, we see Christ exposes his enemies. He explains his purpose, the glory of God, that you and I might be saved. But thirdly, we see that Christ exhorts his followers. They don't understand what he is talking about. They are not sure where he is going. But Lord gives them a command to remember. They will indeed need this reminder when He is gone. And we will need this reminder as we continually, even today, walk in Christ together. And I think He understands this. And now that Judas is gone, He begins to teach them how to live without Him in His presence. Because we're only a few hours from the cross. He says here in verse 34, I am giving you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, we could preach a whole sermon on that one passage. But I think what Jesus is saying in the moment is the cross is upon the horizon. He can see it off in the distance. We are going to have to love one another as He has loved us. This new commandment is not new because nothing like it has ever been said before. No, we see it in the Mosaic Covenant, don't we? Where He mandated two love commandments. He says, love, your, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Deuteronomy 6.5 he says, don't seek revenge but bear, or bear a grudge against, against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, Leviticus 19.18. Listen, Jesus taught all that the law and the prophets were summed up in these two commands. We're called to love. John himself can elsewhere recognize that in certain respects, this is no new command at all. The newness, listen, of this command is that we are to love one another as He has loved us. And how has He loved us? With a self-sacrificial love for one another. Can we just be honest with ourselves? Are we truly loving one another as Christ has loved us? Self-sacrificially. Meeting the needs of one another. Praying for one another. Being a shoulder for one of the brothers or sisters to cry on. Or are we so self-focused that we can't even see beyond our own lives? This is not a new command in any sense. It's a new kind of covenant kind of love that comes from a self-sacrificial love which they will see in just a few hours as Christ dies on the cross that we might live.
when you and I love those in this body that way, listen, they will know that you are truly followers of Christ. The world will know that you are His disciples by the way we love one another. And if we're not loving one another, how in the world will they know? How will they get it? How will they see? Lest we love one another like Christ has loved us. Listen, His purpose was to glorify God in the cross. His action would be the kind of love that we should have for one another. John 15, which He will say in the same upper room discourse, Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. How are you loving people today? How are you serving your local body of believers? How are you supporting your church family by the way you love them? Whether it be your time, your talents, or your treasures, He has called you to love. He has called you to love in a way that will cost you something. True, genuine love will cost you everything. When we were sick, we had people bring us food to express their love. When you were sick, we had people bring you food to express their love. When there's a need, it's always seemingly met by someone in this body. I am always encouraged by how you love one another in this church. I got an email last week. I said, uh, we uh, visited your church and it was the best and most friendliest church I've ever been to in my entire life. And I've been in churches all around the world. And I was just so encouraged that four years ago, there was just a handful of people here. And look what God has done. Not only what He has done by increasing our opportunity for the gospel, but increasing our opportunity to walk by faith and to love as Christ loved self-sacrificially. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life. Peter is fired up. He's all excited. He's ready to roll. But he's like, hey, where are you going that I can't go? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will later. Peter wasn't trying to hear that. Peter is, 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 is bold, isn't he? He, he, he is taking in the, the, the sense that, uh, here he's talking about in the sense that, that uh, Peter will follow Jesus in his death and that He will again be with Him in glory later. But P Peter doesn't see that. He doesn't understand that. And so he says, Lord, why can I follow You right now? I, I will lay down my life for You. Oh, really, Peter? Peter's like, I will show you right now how much I love you. Jesus is so humble with him. Jesus replied, Will you lay down your life for me? Remember what Peter said to Jesus when Jesus was about to wash his feet? Lord, 
You're going to wash my feet? Never. No way. Just notice what Jesus does here. It's beautiful. Peter, will you die for me? Never. Never. Peter, no way. A matter of fact, Peter, I'm about to blow the whistle on you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. The love you think you have for me is not what you think it is. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The love we think we have for Christ may not be as loving as we think. But Jesus is so humble with him. He's at work again, revealing these hidden truths. You don't love me, Peter, not as much as you think. You see, love is easy to speak. It's another thing to live out. Listen, Jesus will expose our enemies. He will bring to light all the wrongdoings. He will reveal not only their sins, but our sins. But listen, even when the enemy is working, God will use it to bring glory to Himself. God knows the heart of all mankind. And thus was the reason for sending Jesus Christ. He has revealed His purpose. And that is the cross of Christ. That He will glorify the Father through accomplishing redemption for mankind. Because of the work, what Christ is going to do requires us to love one another. To show the world what a true disciple looks like. And this is by our love for one another. Romans 8.28 reminds us that He causes all things to work together for good, those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Listen, no matter your circumstances, let us be reminded of His victory. Let us strive to be reminded of His faithfulness as we face this wicked world. And let us not become like Judas, so prideful that we would be unwilling to repent of the sin in our lives, that allowing Satan to come and take over and be deceived like Judas. Listen, the devil sought after Judas. He sought after Peter too, remember? The Lord prayed for him. Listen, the devil will seek after you. And he will seek to put you into a heart of wickedness. And it would be better that you repent. Embrace Christ and His work on the cross that you might have life and that you might walk in victory. He has loved you first. Now you lack one thing. Believe. Would you be willing to do that today? To put your faith in Christ? To come as the Lord would put on your heart? To believe and to be saved. For the Christian, be encouraged that God reveals all truth. He reveals all truth. And I know we are all walking through different stages of life. And some being attacked on a higher level than others. But God will reveal the enemy in His time.
and he will receive the glory for it. And when that happens, we can rejoice. Because as we walk through this world, boy, it seems like the enemy is winning. How long, O Lord, how long will you let the enemy have victory? But listen, for the unbeliever, one day we will all stand before the Lord. But not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. For many he will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And he will blow the whistle on unrepented sin and rejection against the Holy Spirit unto salvation. So you have two options. Believe or reject. And if you believe, you have the greatest hope of all. One day we will reign eternity with Christ. For the unbeliever, for the who reject, hell will be your destination. You have the option today to choose Christ or eternity separated from Him. What will you do? Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you were challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.